Warning. This episode of Case Craze may include some or all of the following as it pertains to the cases discussed. Graphic depictions of violence, sexual assault, hate speech, abuse of a minor, domestic abuse, animal abuse, and strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Calling all true crime fans, this is Case Craze. Theodore Robert Bundy, you are charged, indictment, two counts, burglary, Two counts murder in the first degree. note that all the information regarding this episode will be available on my website, casecrazepodcast.com, along with transcribed episodes and episodes in Spanish. All of the sources for this episode will be listed there as well. I went to college in the mountains of western North Carolina. One of the many outdoor activities to partake in was hiking. We even had class out in the woods some days. This wouldn't necessarily calm me though. Call me paranoid. Do any of my listeners have an odd fear of going on a hike and potentially stumbling across something you weren't expecting? I definitely do. Located east of Bergen in Norway is Mount Ulriken, also known as the Isdalen Valley, specifically in an area also known as Death Valley. Some more common accidents such as hikers falling to their deaths while trying to see through dense fog. On November 29, 1970, a man and his two daughters were hiking along the trails when they discovered a charred, burnt body. out of the way. It was an unusual place to walk. This is the police lawyer, Carl Halver Oz. He describes the scene smelling of burnt flesh. The body was burned all over the front, her face and most of her hair. It looked like she had thrown herself back. The body was in a boxer position, arms up towards the face, which is common in bodies that have been burned. The burns were so bad, they couldn't make out a face at all. Important to note, by the time investigators arrived at the scene, the body had been well charred and it was stone cold. They couldn't determine how long the body had been there. They were, however, able to determine that it was a woman. There were some strange things they noticed right off the bat, though. The labels of her clothes had been cut off. Why would somebody do this? To not be identified? Investigators found some jewelry. She wasn't wearing the jewelry, though. They were placed delicately beside her. The placement and the location of the object surrounding the body was strange. Police lawyer Carl continues. It looked like there had been some kind of ceremony. They were able to determine that she had long brownish black hair, a small rounder face with small ears, and ranging anywhere between mid-20s to mid-40s. Let's discuss the autopsy. Incredibly, they discovered a bruise on her neck. They also determined she had never had children and wasn't pregnant at the time of her death. The worst part is the smoke in her lungs. This only meant that she was indeed alive while she was burning. It is said that her death was a painful one. Around the ground was petrol, which was most likely used to light the fire. In her system along with the smoke was a high concentration of carbon monoxide in her blood. And in her system were 50 to 70 sleeping pills. However, they weren't fully absorbed in her system just yet. They did have her jaw, which included some incredibly distinct teeth. 14 of them were filled and she had gold crowns. 
which almost cancels out the mid-20s age assumption. She had to have been in her late 30s or 40s. The jaw was given to a professor in dentistry, Gazelle Bang. However, after his death, there weren't any more updates regarding the jaw. Inga Morald, the forensics doctor on the case, said she thought the jaw was thrown away because it started to smell. I couldn't believe that when I read it. They found the jaw deep in a cellar at Hawkland University Hospital Forensics Archives. Could you imagine if that was thrown away though? More on this later. Let's go back to the scene of the crime. Investigators found more items belonging to this mystery woman, such as nylon stockings, rubber boots, an umbrella that was essentially just the wires, and bottles with the labels rubbed off. Also more on this later. Located in Bergen at the railway station were two unattended suitcases. Inside, they were able to find a pair of glasses with two fingerprints. The prints matched the Eastall woman, so they continued looking in the suitcase for clues. Other items in the suitcase were clothes, several wigs, a plastic bag, German and Norwegian money, a hairbrush, makeup, teaspoons, and a tube of eczema cream. This was good. They have a prescribed cream that they can find out who this belonged to. But of course, like most of her other items, the label was rubbed off as well. And the clothes in the suitcase also had the labels torn off. Galleries Lafayette, 40 Boulevard, Hausman, Paris 9, France. Attention, ACI liaison officer. Dear Mrs. S. Langman, please find enclosed a photo of two unknown cosmetic brand. As we are urgently interested to know what brand it might be and in what country it is manufactured, eventually also the name of the manufacturer, we ask you kindly to see whether you know it and inform us accordingly. Thank you in advance for your immediate help in the matter. We remain sincerely yours. Even though police reached out to the major department stores, no one could find a match. The only piece of evidence was the plastic bag. It was from Oscar Rodvet's footwear store, a shop in Stavanger. Surprisingly, the owner's son, Rolf, actually does remember selling to a nice-looking woman with dark hair. She apparently took quite some time picking out a pair of rubber boots. And yes, you guessed it, the same rubber boots and potentially umbrella located at the scene. Finally, police are inching closer to answers. According to Rolf, she spoke English, was incredibly nice and calm, and he said specifically that she had a strong garlic smell. With these minor details, police were then able to trace her whereabouts after the purchase. She apparently stayed in a hotel and they were able to pull the records for Fenella Lork. Upon further investigation, this wasn't the only hotel that she stayed at. And this wasn't the only fake name she used. She was also known as Guinevere Lancier, Claudia Tilt, Claudia Nielsen, Alexia Zarn Marquez, Mrs. Linhalf, and Elizabeth Linhalf. Making this even more weird, hotels require identification to check into a room, meaning this woman must have had multiple fake passports and ID cards. And this hopping from hotel to hotel lasted from about March to November in 1970. Everywhere she went, she left an impression that helped investigators out tremendously. People adored her clothes, she had a gap in her front teeth, and she carried herself well and was called elegant, speaking in English and some German. And apparently she did flirt with some German Navy officers and hotel staff, even winking at somebody on occasion. They also remember her constantly wanting to change rooms, even three times a night. When I was doing research for this case, immediately my mind went to the similar case that was discussed on the rebooted Unsolved Mysteries episode, A Death in Oslo. To briefly summarize, because I cannot recommend the show more, a mysterious woman is found in the Oslo Plaza due to a bullet wound to the forehead. 
1995, this woman was only known as the Oslo Plaza woman. How she died is a mystery. How she got to stay in room 2805 is also a mystery. Considering she never provided a credit card, which is required, she too gave different aliases. A security guard knocked on her door to gather payment when he heard a loud noise. This was presumably the gunshot. Instead of entering the apartment, the security officer ran to tell the head of security. He didn't use his radio and remained at the scene, which to me is quite odd. 15 minutes after the loud noise, they finally entered the apartment and found the woman, assuming due to injury, it was a suicide. However, there was no blood on her hand, meaning it couldn't have been her that shot the gun. There would be blood splattered on her hand. Also, eerily enough, similar to the East Doll woman, all of the labels in her clothes were removed and all of her information was fake. One of the most important details here is that there were none of her fingerprints on the gun allegedly used to fire the shot. The gun's serial numbers were also removed and destroyed. She was buried in a nameless grave, which is incredibly tragic. So why is this all important and tied in? Well, because both of these women have incredibly similar and plausible theories. They could have been special agents. Special agent. Okay, I know it sounds like something from a movie, but let me explain. The East Doll woman was alive during the Cold War. There were apparently a lot of spies in Norway. This included Russian spies. Along with this, there were Israeli agents operating in Norway at the time. There were even reports of the East Doll woman being seen at a military site in Western Norway, where they were testing rockets. How credible these claims are is unclear, but definitely fascinating and important to add. And of course, providing no evidence that this woman is a spy is exactly how things should run for spies, so this isn't shocking to me. To follow up on the Easdahl woman's case, the BBC wrote an article in 2019. Some information was provided here, but also just more dead ends. Sea Captain Kettle Kverzoi apparently used to live near the area. He has refused to step foot back in the mountains ever since a day in 1970, where he crossed paths with a woman who was being followed by two men. He states there was no way this woman didn't know these two men were behind her. Alarmingly, in the article, he says, she was looking at me and her face, to me, it looked like she was scared and she was giving up. Unfortunately, after all this time, he still regrets not contacting the police. What is so confusing about cold cases like this is why can't we just pull DNA material and match it with potential profiles in some of the big commercial databases? which is how a lot of crimes are being solved these days. Hopefully, one day they will be able to run this through. It seems like the only hope for the East Doll woman. Fortunately though, several tissue samples were taken from the woman's organs. Her lungs, heart, adrenal gland, and ovaries. These are also located at the Hawkland University Hospital with her jaw. This is pretty normal to take samples like this. Let's just hope we will get DNA results at some point. If the spy theory is to be thrown out regardless of its weight in my opinion, what if she possibly laid down next to the fire? The sleeping pills weren't in her system just yet, but she could have fallen asleep or passed out due to the carbon monoxide poisoning next to a fire and while out cold, it could have taken over her. It's possible. Crime writer Gunnar Stalazen's theory involved hunting Nazi war criminals. Apparently, Israel and Norway had a friendly connection, so it's possible the secret services knew what she was doing there. I did stumble across an article written by David Morgan in mid-2018. It is an incredibly long and detailed blog post about the East Doll woman. He claims to have listened to all the BBC's Death in Ice Valley podcast episodes about her and has 32 potential theories. Yes, 32. 
let's go over some of them. Maybe she was placed next to the rubber boots, suggesting that she died elsewhere. Plausible theory. He does mention the idea of her being an IRA intelligence officer. She moved from hotel to hotel, didn't stay in one place, lied about her identity, etc., etc. This theory also involved drugs, weapon swapping, being persuaded by a man to stay in Norway. It's quite extensive. Maybe she was participating in a weapon swap, but was kidnapped and eventually killed. Maybe her clothes were similar to a paramilitary soldier, but because they were so badly burned, no one could tell. Her also being a spy wanting to retire doesn't match up with her being engulfed in flames. Her also being a spy wanting to retire doesn't match up with her being engulfed in flames. There were also several theories included in his blog about stolen paintings and the potential connection with that. Italian mafia could have tracked her down, which is why she swapped rooms in hotels so many times. The list just keeps going. Some of the theories involving higher class people wouldn't work in my opinion due to higher officials one being noticed when missing and two, they probably have dental records they could cross-reference. Also in his blog post, there are probably 50 plus photos of women that could definitely be the Eastall woman if they were comparing it to the composite sketch drawn of her. Theories aside, it's incredibly unfortunate that after almost 50 years, we still don't have answers. Hopefully with DNA analysis moving quick, we could have answers very, very soon. The woman was presumed to be Catholic and was given a Catholic funeral. I truly hope this is the case or else it's kind of intense and irresponsible, but moving on. The police report said her coffin was decorated with lilacs and tulips. The priest conducted a simple ceremony, quote, for the unknown woman who was put to the grave in a foreign country without any family present. I still believe the secret agent theory. That makes the most sense to me, especially when comparing it to other cases such as the Oslo woman. What do you think happened to the Eastall woman? And who do you think she was? If you would like to discuss these cases, please join the Discord. It's available on my website, casecrazepodcast.com. If you're still here and listening, I'd appreciate it if you left a rating and a review. It helps tremendously. And please be safe out there. I don't want to have to learn about you on the news. Thank you.